back to Stand Up with Pete Dominic on Indy. Sirius XM 104. All right, we want to wrap up our coverage this week of the Storm the Hill initiative that we've been uh, trying to help publicize all week with the founder and executive director of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. He's also, by the way, an author. You really should get and read his book. It's Chasing Ghosts. It, it matters, the perspectives of those who served in Iraq, and he documents it really, really well. It's interesting. It's funny. It's provocative. It's important. Chasing Ghosts is his book. He joins us now. He's on Twitter, by the way, at Paul Rykoff. His name is impossible to spell unless you were born and raised in Germany. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Pete. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. So um, it seems to me, based on what I've heard from the guys that are working with you all week, that you guys have exceeded expectations, at least by the metric of the number of congressmen that you met with versus what you uh, what you had appointments with. Oh, yeah. The, the, and that's just one metric. I think what's really important to note, and, and huge thanks to you and to your listeners, is we jump-started a national conversation. Uh, when we came on your show Monday... Um, there, and Tuesday, there weren't too many folks talking about the backlog in this country. And in the last five days, uh, everybody in America now understands what the backlog is all about. Uh, last night, it was the lead story on NBC uh, evening, evening News. Um, it's been all over the press. Um, last night, we went on with Rachel Maddow with every one of the stormers. We took almost 40 people on for an interview, which was pretty challenging, um, but, it, but it really sent an important message. Uh, and I think that, that folks are listening, and the White House is listening. Uh, we had over 100 meetings on the Hill. We met with the VA chief of staff. We went to the White House, sat in the Roosevelt Room, and had a 45-minute meeting um, with McDonough, the White House chief of staff. Uh, Derek, our chief of staff, went to meet with Secretary Hagel yesterday. So it's been a huge week. Uh, we're not done. We're not there. We've still got to get the backlog to zero. But thanks to these amazing stormers, their families back home, and to all your listeners and lots of folks like them, we've really jump-started a conversation. And 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 that's – I mean the goal was was to have a conversation. The goal was – uh, to hopefully, you know, uh, get a, a presidential commission on this issue. Um, talk to me about what your goals were at the beginning of the week. And we say the beginning of the week. You guys have been working on this for well over a year. You do it every year. Uh, but uh, let, let's let's not act like you started this uh, Sunday afternoon. What were the goals specifically for Storm the Hill, uh, this initiative that uh, that your organization launched uh, to to advocate for issues for veterans, meetings with Congress? What were the goals and, and what do you think right now, concrete, you got a good handle on coming out of it? Well, the, the super reach goal would be to, to get a commitment uh, from the president to end the backlog. And even more specifically, we wanted him to establish a presidential commission to get to the bottom of this, to say that, you know, 600,000 claims is too long. Uh, you know, 600 days to wait in places like New York and L.A. is too long. And we wanted him to respond and say he was going to fix it. Um, now, we didn't get that. Uh, and we're not going to stop until we do, but that's that's really a means to an end. I mean, the end is to get to zero. We have a, a number of claims on our wall here in the war room in Washington. We're still here today, uh, and in New York and in all our, our offices. We've got a number on the wall, and it says exactly how many claims are there, and beneath it we have another number, which is zero. That's where we want to get to. That's our goal, and it might take us two years, Pete. We hope it won't. Uh, it might take us six months, but we're not going to stop in, until we get there. Um, but, you know, more specifically, we wanted to really get folks involved in this issue. We've had over 37,000 people sign our petition in less than a week. Uh, that's tremendous. That's 37,000 Americans who care. And then we delivered that petition to the White House. 
we, we held it up at a press conference on Capitol Hill. We had, I think, about a dozen members of Congress stand with us on Capitol Hill. So we're laser-focused on getting the backlog fixed, and, and our suggestion is a presidential commission so we can go above the VA, VA go above the DOD, and get the president involved. Um, and, and that's just one idea. But, but we're laser-focused on that goal, just getting this down to zero, and we're not going to stop until we get there. We're talking to Paul Rykoff, uh, who looks like a larger version of me, if you want to uh, visualize him, a little less handsome. But, uh, Paul, my mom calls me last night. She's like, I, I, I didn't sign a petition yet. I, I can't find it. And, 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 and should I still sign it? Um, you got a lot of publicity this week uh, from Rachel and, and a lot of the mainstream media outlets. Obviously, we've been working with you. Um, is We don't want anybody to stop thinking about uh, vets. As, as I've always said, every day should be Veterans Day. Uh, you know, As you've uh, taught us, there's very few Americans who are affected by veterans' issues. Less than uh, half a percent of Americans serve in the military. And so how do we keep this on the forefront? Should my mom still sign the petition? Is, yes, is the petition yes, going? Yes. Pete's mom, please sign the petition. And Say Mary Dominic, please sign the petition, Mary. Yes, yes, Ms. Dominic, please do that. Uh, and tell all your friends. <laughs> Um, hey, look, it's not just about a petition, but it's about growing a movement, right? So the petition is the first step. That's an on-ramp into the issue. Uh, and then we're going to keep folks updated. We're going to tell them about the great work that these stormers, right now they're literally, they're getting on buses and, and, and the, the super, super shuttle, and they're headed out to their homes. They've been in Washington for, for a week, and now they're going to go back to Ohio and California and Texas, and they're going to bring this message, and this movement is going to grow. So hopefully folks will continue to stay with us until we get to zero, whether that means rallying in their local communities, coming here to Washington, uh, continuing to spread the word, donating money, or focusing on, people who were in our way, uh, we're going to need them to stay on board with this movement. And then if we get, when we get to zero on the backlog, we're still going to have other issues. We're going to have to tackle the suicide rate. We're going to have to get unemployment down. We're going to have to take better care of our women warriors. Uh, and, and that may take literally decades. So uh, this is going to be a long fight, and, and we're prepared for it. And the bottom line is that we need reinforcements. So hopefully everybody in America will stand with us. Um, you know, we talked to congressmen each day uh, this week as well as as you guys did. We 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 uh, I I think I held their feet to the fire pretty well. Yep. Uh, a couple of days I put uh, them on with the vets. Um, and and let let me just be clear: all these guys seem to be really care. They seem to to to, to matter. But yesterday we did talk to Congressman William Flores. Um, he is a Republican, and he was critical of the idea of the of the presidential commission simply because uh, why would President Obama create a commission that might be critical of his leadership? or the people that he's appointed, um, do you share that concern that this could get political and that we couldn't get an honest, uh, an honest look from this commission of independent experts uh, because it was created by the president? No. I'm concerned that we're going to have a backlog that continues to go up to a million. And I think Representative Flores was actually at our press conference yesterday. So I was glad to see him there, and, and there were a number of other folks there. We had a rally on Capitol Hill and a press conference afterward. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was there, uh, you know, a young veteran from Hawaii who's now in Congress. And Tim Waltz led the way. Tim Waltz from Minnesota, uh, the highest-ranking enlisted um, person to ever serve in Congress. He was a sergeant major in the Minnesota National Guard. He stood with us. We've had Republicans and Democrats stand with us on this idea. Um, so, you know, this is about 
bringing the full force of the American uh, machine, the, the White House, the president, all the ingenuity of our nation behind this problem. So, you know, I hope the president stands up and does this. I mean, you know, he could, he could also set up a, a veteran czar. I mean, there's a lot of ways to tackle this. I don't want to get wrapped around this specific tactic, but the bottom line is we need help, and we need the president to lead on this. He's the most powerful man in this country. And I've said this before, we're not trying to put a man on Mars. We're trying to fix a government hmm. bureaucracy, and the president can step up and do that. But there are some folks who, who haven't supported it. And, you know, Bernie Sanders we met with yesterday, he would not stand with us on this. He seems to think the VA is trying pretty hard. I was disappointed by that meeting. We walked out of the meeting with Bernie Sanders, who, who's been a friend of veterans, uh, and I don't think he has the same urgency. So uh, we need him on board. We need him to understand how important this is to us and, and to our membership. So folks are listening, call Bernie Sanders' office. Let him know you want him to stand with us. Let him know it's going on too long. What were his arguments? What's that? What were his arguments? Well, he said he said Undersecretary Hickey was doing a good job, and he wants to give her time, and he feels that there are folks within the VA who deserve time. Uh, I know he's got principled arguments about folks who, who are attacking government, but that's not what we're trying to do here. I mean, we're trying to get this fixed, and I think, candidly, uh, Senator Sanders is new. He's only been the chair of the committee for about three months um, and he's got to step up right away to keep up the tremendous momentum we had with his predecessor, uh, Patty Murray. Patty Murray was a fantastic chair of the state of Washington. We had tremendous momentum, and he's learning the ropes here. But one thing he's got to learn is, is that America stands with our veterans. And if your folks call him today and let him know that, that, that we want him to stand with IAVA, uh, I think that pressure will help. And that's what this week is about, pressure and moving people to the right side of the issue. Well, um, congratulations. I want to I want to take one call uh, uh, from a vet uh, to show folks uh, how Paul Rykoff deals with vets. Uh, Chris in Pennsylvania, you're on with the great Paul Rykoff. Go ahead, Chris. How you doing, Paul? Hey, sir. Uh, yeah, my problem with them is I deployed in 2005, 2006. Deployed again in 2007, 2008 to 2008. Deployed again from 2009 to 2011. But my first deployment in 2000. Five, I was getting 10%, and I deployed in – well, I spent nine years active duty, then joined the Guard. Mm-hmm. Well, my deployment, when I deployed in 2005, I didn't know I had to give that money back. Mm-hmm. So eight months into my deployment, they took all that money back real quick. Mm-hmm. But trying to get my benefits reestablished in new claim, it's like being impossible. Yeah. You know, and I, it's, I go to e-benefits and check. First time, it was like, oops, we're sorry, we delayed you. And so then – they delayed me again. It was supposed to be settled by April 7th. To get my congressman involved, I get a letter from the VA said, oh, we're sorry. Nobody has looked at your case since April 1st, I mean, April 21st, 2011. Mm-hmm. And now everything's been closed out again, and it's restarting again. You know, and it's just a nightmare. I've been diagnosed with PTSD in 2009, in which the VA didn't tell me that they diagnosed me with that until after, you know, 2012 that they let me know. So this is just an example. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your call, Chris. Go ahead, Paul. Two two things. One, uh, go to our website. Go to IVA.org. We've got a link to our RIP program. We call it the RIP program, the Rapid Response Referral Program. We've got caseworkers that work on staff full-time. Shoot them your info today, and our caseworkers will get back to you within 24 hours. We'll see what we can do to, to move that forward in the meantime to try to help you out wherever we can. Um, that's a new program we've stood up recently. Uh, it's it's really popular to say the least, um, but it's something we want to scale in the meantime because we, we've also got to think about, let's say the VA does meet their goal of removing the backlog at the end of 2015. What are we going to do until then? 
That's another reason we need the president to step up, because nonprofits like ours have to help guys like you in the meantime. Uh, and we're not getting the support we need. So that, that's issue number one. Number two, you know, keep spreading the word. Stay involved with us. Tell us your story. Uh, what's had so much power this week is that we've held up signs uh, and put them on Tumblr where vets hold up a picture of themselves with, with, uh, with uh, their, their number of days their claim is backlogged and the hashtag yeah. and the VA backlog. We've had people send in photos from all around the country, and your face, a human face on this issue, is what was missing, missing until this week. And that really has made a difference. So you know, maybe next time we're down here in Washington, you can come with us. If not, you can you know, mobilize in your local community and get your friends and, and family on board. But that's bullshit. You shouldn't have to deal with that, and, and no other veteran should either. You know, Paul, before I let you go, I want to ask you just a question about, about these wars. And, and I think one of the problems is we, we know that very few Americans, very low percentage, under 1% of Americans uh, serve in the military and, and have served in, uh, in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, which are the wars that your, your organization generally advocates for uh, the veterans who serve those. And obviously, uh, you, you do a lot of work and try to help out Vietnam-era veterans, et cetera. But, I mean, I, I just think this is my opinion, of course. But I think that one of the big problems that you're facing is that uh, Americans don't know. You, you've done a really good job. We've all tried to help you to make uh, the American public aware of what our veterans are dealing with. Right. But we just don't know. And we don't know the cost of war um, on a family. And we really don't even know the cost of war in terms of uh, you know our treasury uh, and how much we, we still have to pay for. People keep citing the cost of war in Iraq. But they always, as an equivocator, say, and yet it's going to be another $3 trillion or $1 trillion, whatever it is, right. trillions of dollars that it's going to cost to take care of all these vets that you're advocating for for the rest of their natural lives. But I think the only, we need to find a way to make people understand the cost of war. We had uh, your friend Philip Carter on earlier. Some Good. say that, you know, and now we're hearing the drum, uh, drums beating on Syria and Iran. If we are to, to launch another war like this, we can't allow the American people to not know about what's happening, what these vets are save, uh, are doing. Do you think there's something that we should do as a policy matter in terms of some kind of a cost of war tax or even a draft that can make uh, the American people, not that we're necessarily insensitive, but we're just not aware. We got our own issues. We got a lot of things that we're, uh, we're worried about as individuals. And if we're not in the military or uh, a family member isn't, and most likely we're not, it's just not something that's in the forefront of our minds. What do you yeah. think we can do in the future well, to I'm, make people aware? I'm glad you had Phil on. He's one of the smartest guys in, in the country on this stuff. Um, you know, we've got to find a way to create some kind of a social backstop. Um, you know, General McChrystal has called for a, a draft, essentially. Others have said we've got to find a way to have some kind of national service. I, I support national service personally. You know, the organization doesn't have a stand on it, but I think it's a good thing to have a way for people to give back. Uh, it doesn't have to be the Marine Corps. It can also be AmeriCorps. I mean, finding a way for young people to reconnect with their country and, and to be obligated to be a part of our society, I think it is a good thing, and it's something we need right now. I mean, not just overseas for our military, but here at home. So I think we've got to find a way to reestablish that social connection that's been missing in this generation. Uh, I also think we've got to figure out how to pay for this stuff, um, because we had to advocate in Washington for many years just to get the adequate VA budget. Back in 2007, 2006, uh, IAVA and other organizations were fighting to expand the VA budget, which has now gone up by 40%. So they hadn't planned for the money that was necessary, and, and you know, taxes haven't gone up. So I think there's a real connection, a real question about uh, whether or not we're connected at all. I mean, for a lot of people, it's a reality TV show. It seems like somebody else's kids, and they're not really connected. But, you know, Pete, I, I'm not just going to blow smoke here. I mean, you know, you, you've done a great job this, this week. Your whole staff did a great job this week. I mean, you dedicated yourself 
and, and your program to this issue, and it's made a huge impact, and I hope it inspires other people to dedicate some amount of time themselves, whether it's, you know, talking to the folks at the water cooler or posting stuff on your Facebook page, uh, you can make a difference, and that's really what this issue has shown people, that it can be a movement, not just about, you know, yelling at people in Washington, but about making real change that maybe can set a, a platform and a foundation for the other problems we got to tackle in this country, because these guys came from all over the place this year, and they made a huge difference. I guarantee there's a couple members of Congress in there, and if they were in charge on the Hill, we wouldn't have half the problems we do right now. Well... I, uh, congratulations, pal. You sound a little tired. You all right? Oh, I'm tired. There's no doubt about that. I mean, everybody said this has been like a, <laughs> been like a deployment uh, for all of us, mm-hmm. but it's been worth it. You know, we said in the beginning of the week it was going to be hard, but it was going to be worth it, and it has been worth it. Um, you know, and, and it's amazing to see everybody kind of break ranks today and go back to their homes, but uh, we're just getting started. I mean, there's been a terrible shooting at Quantico this morning. I don't know if you guys have covered it. Yeah, we talked about it. It reminds us that, you know, there's still a lot to do out there, and those families are going to need support, and our friends are going to need support. So the fight goes on, but we're inspired. And I just want to thank all your callers, and so many people have been tweeting at us this week, sending love and support. Uh, you know, the guys and gals who are here felt it, and they appreciate it, and, and they're inspired by it. And, and, and they made you proud this week, and they're going to continue to make you proud going forward. Um, do you have any evidence, any data, because you're such an intimidating guy, that <laughs> any congressperson that you met with soiled himself at any point? <laughs> do you know anything? Have I, you heard I anything? I don't know, man. Anybody, was anybody yeah. honest enough to admit that perhaps there was some leakage? I think, I think there might have been. I mean, you know, there were definitely some, some contentious meetings. Uh, the, the, the briefing on the Hill yesterday was damn cold, um, but everybody stuck through it. And, you know, we also had a, a service dog with us all week. You met Melinda. She was very courageous yep. on, on, on your show talking earlier this week. Uh, Willow uh, was, was maybe our, our secret weapon. She's a golden retriever who's also a service dog, and she came into a number of meetings, uh, and she definitely broke some people down. Awesome. Awesome. We also had a baby. Did you see the baby, Pete? You know, you're kind of a dick. I carried that baby around. I know. I carried I know. that baby around at the I dinner. Well, I love baby. I mean, we can't have the baby on the show, but uh, Asa, a six-week-old baby, who yeah. Pete Dominic, Pete may not have told you guys this. I mean, he was a really sweet guy. He came to dinner with us. All the vets loved him. But yeah, that was sweet was of like, me to come to, din- to the free dinner that you gave. That was thoughtful. Yeah, well, you were also, you know, you had this whole other side of you carrying around a baby. We were all really touched. And uh, Asa was our other secret weapon. Yeah. He was six weeks old, and he and yep. his grandmother were here along with Ann Weeby, his mom. And I think it just shows the kind of dedication. When we were in the White House, Ann Weeby looked across from the White House staff, and she said, I care about this enough that I'm here on my maternity leave. And the jaws all dropped. I mean, that's how serious this was for Ann. That's how serious it was for all of us. And uh, we're really just grateful, Pete, to you and your entire team for supporting us. A lot of people said uh, I looked exactly like the baby, which I thought yeah. was hurtful. Some yeah, best. well, the baby's better looking than you, Pete. That's true. Paul Rykoff is uh, is just a, a great guy and a, and a good friend of ours. And, and Paul, obviously, I look forward to working with you more and talking to you more and hanging out with you more. Thanks so much for everything you're doing. Uh, you're a hero. We appreciate it, pal. Well, the, the real heroes are, are still out there, and we got to remember too. There are still folks in harm's way. It's one thing that the guys wanted to make sure that we yeah. mentioned on air is, is that there are still sixty thousand people in harm's way right now. They're in, in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. They're fighting and dying, and, and those folks are, are heroes, and so are their families back home. But thanks to you, man. I mean, you were awesome. Your whole team is awesome, and uh, our saying in IVA is, "We've got your back." And in the last week, especially, Pete, you've had our back. Well, it's, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to work with you guys. I've learned so much from all the vets uh, about uh, so many different uh, metrics of personality and character. 
and uh, and even humor. I received quite a thorough ball busting on the air from almost everybody. Uh, yeah, well, and uh, and you've got a security detail whenever you need it, man. You know, when the fans get to be too big, uh, you've got a, a permanent security detail from our folks, and and they'll make sure you're you're kept safe. I appreciate. I'm pretty sure I won't have to access that. But thank you, Paul. Thank you're you welcome. very much, man. Thanks, man. All have right. a great weekend. Yep, everybody follow, follow Paul Rykoff on Twitter. R-I-E-C-K-H-O-F-F is his Twitter handle. You can also follow IAVA, at I-A-V-A. I hope uh, Paul gets some rest and everybody else. It really has been a, uh, a, a really magical, unique, life-changing experience. You know, someone, someone there's, there's a person on Twitter, I don't know who this person is, but never heard of him, but uh, earlier this week someone tweeted that appreciates what I'm doing. He's a Marine, but he questions my motives. And it just, it really, it really dug deep for me. And it, and it, and I thought a little bit, a lot about why we've dedicated so much time this year to talking to veterans. And I think that probably when, when, when people question that kind of thing, uh, I, I've, 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 I've talked about, I've thought about this a lot. I haven't talked about it with anybody except that guy on Twitter. And I said, you know, please expand uh, making an insinuation like that uh, deserves, I think, an explanation. And I haven't heard anything back. But to be fair, when I think about why I've done it, you, you know, uh, what's that? I said, to be fair, you made millions this week. Yeah, I have made a lot of money off of IAVA, obviously. I got, a lot, I got a lot of IAVA bumper stickers and T-shirts uh, that I'm going to resell at uh, market value, obviously. But um, I got these nice gold cufflinks from them, too, which is you know, it's like, handy. It's like... What could my motives? What could my motives be? That that um, that that this is um, a way for me to get you know more publicity for the show, or or that um, you know I can't even like I'm a pretty creative guy and I'm a ma- imaginative guy. That this is a way for me to, you know. But the bottom line is, I mean, you only have to listen to me talk about these wars for a little while to know where I stand on the wars. I mean, I I, I am horrified by the war of choice. In Iraq, I'm I'm horrified that we've been in Afghanistan as long as we've been. As a matter of fact, I don't think we ever should have gone to Afghanistan the way that we went with such a heavy footprint. And I that is not conventional wisdom on Afghanistan at all. Very few, uh, even military experts or, or or folks on the left necessarily uh, think that. Well, people true leftists think it, but uh, not most liberals don't necessarily. And that's the war we supported. I never supported that war either. And I hate these wars. I think that uh, uh, some members of the military, a very small percentage, are war criminals. I think we've done horrific things. Abu Ghraib, Fallujah, and, and, uh, and all over where we've been. I think a m- number of our m- members of our military have done ho- committed horrible crimes. I also though, think that they would have not committed those crimes had they not been sent to these places. I think that's pretty fair to say. The bottom line for me is if you commit to volunteer... By the way, I also don't buy the argument uh, one veteran made on Monday that I didn't address because I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole that anybody, any of our vets are fighting for our freedoms in Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't believe that our freedoms were impugned upon. I don't buy that they have, were ever in threat by uh, 15 thugs or this uh, Al-Qaeda network. 
I do not buy that our freedoms were under threat. And I don't buy that our American men and women were fighting for our freedom. I, I consider that patriotic porn, jingoistic misdirection. I don't buy it. <laughs> what I do believe as to why I've worked so hard with these men and women, it's pretty simple. They volunteered for service. One guy who we talked just a little bit about, and I posted up his some uh, uh, his, his appearance on Democracy Now! on my website, Stand Up with Pete Dominic. Thomas Young is a vet who is in hospice care who joined the Army after 9-11 to fight in Afghanistan like Pat Tillman. And like Pat Tillman, uh, he disagreed with the war of choice in Iraq. Tillman didn't make it to Iraq, but this guy did. These men and women signed up for public service, just like a number of other people do in the government. Some of them are in danger. Some of them are not. The point is, we owe them what they deserve. They're not asking to be celebrated as heroes. And I don't necessarily, and, and certainly I think it's wrong to say everybody's a hero. I think here, I think that's a little bit misplaced as well. But, you know, we owe them. We owe them what they committed. If they if they said, I'm signing up the military and I'm going to, uh, you know, commit to my service, I'm going to perform well, and then they're done, they should receive health care. It's not unlike anything else. If you, if you pay for a good or service, you should receive the good or service. I think that a lot of these uh, men and women were lied to about what they would, where they would serve and what their service would be like. And I want to, and I want, and I think that's an injustice. But I don't, I don't put any kind of blanket generalization on any group of people, any racial group, any ethnic group, any religious group, any military group, any organization. I think that's wrong. And I've learned, man, have I been bitten in the ass by doing that too many times. Absolutely. And it's one of the things we don't like to do on this program. But these men and women, forget about all the patriots. They serve their country and this. They deserve what they deserve. They deserve to be reimbursed. They deserve to be uh, receive health care. They, they fought in a war that we supported. The American people overwhelmingly supported. We paid for. And now it's time to take care of them. That's, that's how simple it is. Why are we doing it on the radio program? Um, because I've got a national radio show and because I advocate for the causes that I believe in and I believe in this cause. There's a number of other issues that we believe in and that we advocate for, that we explore, that you introduce to us. That's why we're doing it. It's not that complicated. I mean, I would like the IAVA duffel bag. I'm not going to lie. I'd like the shoulder bag. I don't know if that's too much to ask for. So maybe that is an ulterior motive. Yes. But I also, by the way, I think that in some, in some ways I'm jealous of uh, those who served in the military. I, I would have liked to have had that experience. The reason I never joined is because I didn't believe in much of, I think, the misadventures that our uh, civilian-led government has sent our military members on. And I didn't want to be sent on a mission that I didn't agree with. And I think I made the right decision in that, in that respect. 
But I also had a lot of privilege. I also had a lot of information, and I also had a lot of guidance on those decisions. But I think joining the military and traveling around the world and, and, and serving your country in the military or the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps or the EPA or the SEC, I mean, I think that's an important part of service. I'm not an especially patriotic guy. I think patriotism can be dangerous because it sometimes makes you think that everything you do in the name of your country was done for a good reason, for the right reasons, and I think that that's a problem. And the Pledge of Allegiance is a problem, I think, for myself. I think that we've created grave sins as a country, especially in Iraq. And we deserve to apologize—they deserve an apology, the Iraqi people. We talked about that earlier. Uh, Tom in Wisconsin. Good morning, Pete. How are hey, you? I'm good. Done hey, with my I'm rant. Just I'm just wondering, Pete, I get pretty worked up about the whole quote-unquote responsibility issue, and— I'm just wondering, and you touched on it earlier um, with some of your guests over the past week and whatever, what do you think the odds are that some of the people that are, you know, still in positions of power and have since, you know, gone to that golden retirement pillow or whatever you call it, and, and what, what are the odds that any of these people are going to be held accountable? I don't think they'll ever be held accountable. The closest opportunity we had to hold them, them accountable was uh, electing Barack Obama as president. And as you know, he has not held them accountable. He does not want to look backwards. He doesn't want to. He, want, he won't even hold those who, uh, you know, tortured people accountable in the CIA. So certainly Bush Cheney and Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz and Richard Pearl uh, and Paul Bremer, who apparently uh, lives in Vermont and, and uh, has a painting studio. That's what he does now. Uh, the guy who probably has a lot of responsibility for wrecking that country after the invasion, Paul Bremer. None of these people are ever going to be uh, brought to any kind of justice, and none of these people, I think, are ever going to admit uh, that they were wrong the way that Secretary Robert McNamara did about the Vietnam War. We don't live in that world anymore, and we're not going to hold them responsible. And the problem of that, of course, is uh, if you don't learn from your mistakes, if there's no consequences to your irresponsible action, then why would we ever not do it again? Do you think, Pete, that it's too strong a language to say that we were, quote, just plain lied to? No, no, we were definitely lied to. I mean, and again, I don't blame the troops. I, to be quite honest, even the ones that committed atrocities over there, look at the position they were put in. I, I yeah, I'm, 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 so, I'm such a bleeding heart um, that I think that, you know, our, we're not, it's not natural to kill people. It's not natural. We have to be taught to kill other people. And the best way to teach people to kill people is to dehumanize the people you're killing. And we have done that in every conflict, and so have our enemies. It's, you can't kill people if you look at them as human beings with lives and families. That's a hard thing to do. And, but uh, in every war, we have done that, and I'm, I, I'm, I think that our enemies have always done it as well. I mean, it's, that's what you have to do. And growing up here in Madison, Wisconsin, which was so active in the anti-Vietnam War demonstrations and such— and having a father that was in the establishment and part of the part of the machine, so to speak, in this area, you know, I listened to him at the dinner table because dinner was important and National Geographic was important and all those history lessons were important. Here, I would hear him condemn these students that were demonstrating against the war. And history has proven that a lot of the points that these students, the quote-unquote hippies and potheads, were, were demonstrating against at that time, well, they were right. They yep. were right. And they were right, the the massive protests that came out before the Iraq war uh, all over the country, too. Tom, thanks. One more Lou in Florida, and I've got to take a break and get to our next guest, who you are going to be. Uh, this guy is special. Uh, his his background, a 24-year veteran at the State Department, 
Uh, he did a lot and saw a lot, and you, you're going to want to hear from him. So quickly to Lou in Florida and then a break. Hey, Pete, uh, good morning. Morning. Hey, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm a Marine Corps veteran, 82 to 88, and I think the Peace Corps veterans are as patriotic or more patriotic than I ever was. So I think you can give to your country in many, many different ways. And it yeah, I mentioned the Peace Corps. I hope you heard earlier. Yeah, Peace Corps, AmeriCorps. I mean, any government, you know, I mean, like when you're, but when you're in danger, as you were probably, um, and uh, I mean, even if you didn't, I don't know if you uh, were ever in combat, Lou, no, but we just combat. saw seven Marines lose their life in a training mission. Exactly. I mean, I had and then yes, and then today I think they were Marines that were killed um, at Quantico. So, yeah, that was you know. uh, that was that was not good. That was a, a murder. But uh, the ones out in Nevada was a training accident, and that happened right, but all I mean, the time. Right. But to your but my, to your my, point, go my, ahead. My, Sorry, yeah, quick. My point is this: um, you know, I'm worried now. Uh, I was just listening uh, to a news show that Carl Levin is basically teaming up with John McCain toward uh, you know arming. The rebels are leaning toward now we have to arm the rebels. And, and I just always think of a slippery slope. And, and where the far right, including McCain, dogs Obama about arming the rebels. Uh, we armed the Taliban, which were the Mujahideen, back in the 80s. And I was one of the ones that was an escort to people giving checks over to Mujahideen when I was in uniform. Hmm. Wow. I was just... And then we left, and they became our enemy. Are, are we going to fall into that same trap? Well, I don't, I don't know enough about the conflict in all sides of Syria. We've talked about it a bit, and i got to learn a lot more. And I think I like, uh, I like Senator Levin. I think he, he was going to be sorely missed from the Senate in many ways. And I'm, I agree. I question, I question his decision on this. Uh, this is a very, very difficult situation in Syria. But, you know, the bottom line is um, this guy's father, Bashar al-Assad, killed 25,000 Syrians. Um, this guy has killed four times that many of his own people. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of different interests in the in the in the rebels. There's a lot of you know, it's 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 a it's a difficult one to know exactly what to do and to arm them where those uh, armaments are going to go. And so we'll have a, a very robust debate about that. I think the idea of boots on the ground, however, Americans in Syria, is a horrific idea, and I hope nobody's suggesting that. I do too, and I hope we said now that there is a vigorous and robust debate about the weapons, I don't think they're having that debate. They're just going arm somebody. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. They need to be very, very cautious yep. about who and they are. And they need to be very, very cautious about the intelligence they're getting and who they're getting it from. The CIA is, some argue, you know, starting to become a bit rogue, right? A military branch of its own. That's not their job. Lou, I got to go. Thanks. I really Thanks appreciate the call. Your service. Thanks, Lou. All right, we're, we're going to come back and talk to Peter Van Buren, and this guy uh, is uh, is a whistleblower. Uh, he is uh, he served his country as well in the State Department in Iraq, and he's written a book. We meant well. How I helped lose the battle for hearts and minds of Iraqi people. Our final guest of the week is going to be a good one. I promise you, we'll be right back.